The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back. It's Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere you go to get your fine Bills-related podcasts. We are so glad you took the time to download us, to listen to us, to check out our podcast here. My name is John Boccasino, as always, joined by my esteemed colleague and co-host, Jamie D'Amico. And uh, Jamie, contrary to popular belief, on Monday morning, the sun did rise in western New York. Let's get that out there right away. <laughs> yeah, you would think that maybe it wasn't going to. I mean, people calling for Mitch Trubisky to become the starter? Oh, my God. Take a breath, people. It's just one game. There's a reason the first, especially the first Monday after the week one games, but most Mondays is overreaction Monday in the National Football League. And I felt like this past Monday was no different. Uh, you had a lot of chicken littles saying the sky is falling after Buffalo's you know, disappointing, disheartening, deflating 23-16 to loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And look, there's no sugarcoating, Jamie. It was not... A great game. I mean, the Bills should have been up by more at the half. They left some meat on the bone, as a lot of the football people like to say out there. They had some scoring opportunities that they just didn't capitalize on. I think everyone thought after that dynamic uh, kickoff return by Isaiah McKenzie that the Bills were going to march in and get a touchdown. And that kind of set the tone for the day, settling for three instead of seven. You know, I went in so confident that after that kick return, I actually thought, Game over. What the hell? <laughs> Man. I, I should know better than that, shouldn't I? Yeah, the the Bills, this is a reminder that, you know, eight. okay, I want to put this out there, and we're, we're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins, the week two opponent, but I feel like the, the Pittsburgh Steelers' demise was greatly exaggerated, especially, I mean, look, the offense for Pittsburgh, they, they found Ben gets the ball out quick, and we knew that. And, you know, he hit his weapons and Chase Claypool, uh, you know, had a, a solid, phenomenal game, and 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 the receiving core did a, did what they needed to do for Pittsburgh. And Levi Wallace got pushed around. These are all things that we thought were possibilities. What I didn't think was a possibility was just how tenacious that Steelers front four was. They got so much pressure on Josh without blitzing. 
that's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we talked about it. We knew that the Steelers receivers were not a good matchup for the Buffalo Bills. They're just too big and physical, and that's what the Bills kind of struggle with, at least those opposite of Trey White. But yeah, you know, we talked about it last week, and we said, you know, the offensive line could be a problem. Cam Hayward could blow this whole thing up, and guess what? He sure as hell did. <laughs> yeah, Cam Hayward and the the NFL's newest, highest-paid defensive player, TJ Watt, celebrated that contract extension by just terrorizing the Bills' uh, interior offensive line, especially, I mean, the guard play. You know, it wasn't even like we're going to point a lot of fingers at, at Cody Ford. I mean, John Feliciano, the guy you've been calling for his job, basically, and, and saying that he has a lot to prove – I mean, maybe it's the the AJ Epinesa effect, but he slimmed down from last year and he has lost a step when it comes to the power moves and being able to hold his own against the stalwarts of the front four. I thought he just looked like a shell of himself on Sunday. Is it fair to assess him based on going up against a guy as good as, as Cam Hayward? Um, you know, if he had a good game, I would say, hey, this is great. But with a bad game, do you want to say, hey, it's early in the season. Maybe it was just a bad matchup. Maybe had a bad day. I I feel like I want to collect some more data points before I I cast him aside. Oh, for sure, Jamie. And and again, I'm not trying to offer my own overreaction hot take. (laughs) Yes, you are. But didn't that thought cross your mind, though, that, you know, because you're thinking like, I don't know who told Feliciano to shed some pounds, but... You know, that's that's not something I'm necessarily I mean, if a guy is like 370 trying to be an offensive lineman, then sure, get rid of those pounds, big boy, put down the biscuits and put down the dinner plate and, you know, get in the weight room. But Feliciano wasn't an obese individual like he seemed like he was in pretty good shape. I'm just curious what if anyone's done an article on why he decided to slim down the way he did, because I thought that it just I don't know, we'll see what happens with Miami, but it looked like he just had lost a step. And you would think that losing weight, you would gain a step, right? You would think that the reason you are dropping some weight is because he probably knew he was moving over to the left-hand side. More athletic defensive linemen typically are on that side of the line of scrimmage. So I would assume he dropped the weight so he could be quicker. He actually looked slower. So that, that doesn't make sense. Slow plus lack of power is not a good combination for an offensive lineman. And, you know, Jamie, I think that's as good a point. I mean, we're, we're done. I'm at least done with the, the recap part of, of our pod, because I want to, you know, spin ahead to the, the fish, uh, the week two matchup in South beach, but the common theme, the segue is that it's not going to get any easier this week against the dolphins. They don't have the big names of the Cameron Haywards and the TJ Watts, but the Dolphins are still a very vastly underrated pass rushing team, and they do it differently than Pittsburgh. And that's where I want to start our preview here for week two. This The, 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 the Dolphins uh, applied the pressure through the blitz 47% of the time in their week one uh, victory over the New England Patriots. 47% of the time they brought the blitz. Last year, they were around 41.5%. So it's kind of... It's kind of on par. It's kind of their MO that they are going to bring. They're not just a team that does it with their front four. They get creative. They bring their backers. They bring safeties on a blitz. Is this a matchup 
Jamie, when it comes to the pass rush of the Dolphins. Break it down for us. Pass rush Dolphins versus O-line Bills. How do you see it playing out? Pass rush Dolphins, O-line Bills. Okay, they play a 3-4. And in that 3-4, they've got some big boys on the line. Uh, Emmanuel Agba is a very good player. Uh, Raekwon Davis on the nose. And Christian Wilkins, who has kind of been a disappointment, even though he was a, a high draft pick. Uh, and then they're coming at you with their outside linebackers, uh, Jerome Baker and uh, Andrew Van Ginkle. These guys actually played pretty darn good last season, and they've got an excellent head coach. So what they're going to do, they're going to throw the exotic blitz looks at you. And what it's going to make the Bills offensive line do is really communicate with each other. They are going to make the Bills offensive line pass pass rushers off between blocking assignments and they're they're going to have to be paying attention to the directions that the blitzes are coming from because the dolphins are going to try to disguise that now what that does is it creates an opportunity on the back end because when you're blitzing and you've got a lot of guys up on the line of scrimmage it means you have to play more man-to-man on the outside and the bills are absolutely built to take advantage of man-to-man on their receivers. They are, and, and I'm glad you bring up the different looks that the Dolphins will disguise. Um, and I actually want to go back a second, too. I uh, did some crack research while you were chatting there uh, with our crack. I don't know how you do that so quickly. You're good, man. <laughs> well, you know, I will give a shout-out to uh, Scarecrow uh, for this nugget here. I actually underestimated the Dolphins' blitzing percentages. It was 52.5% according to Pro Football Reference and Scarecrow. So, and what they did, Jamie, and I'm, yeah, you're right. The Bills have, the receivers are built to win their one-on-one matchups. Stephon Diggs, um, Gabriel Davis, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, that whole crew, they will do well. They will hold their own when it comes to the one-on-ones against the Xavier Howards and the rest of the uh, Dolphins cornerbacks, the Justin Coleman's, the Byron Joneses of the world. Where I'm worried about this matchup is not only the rapidity at which the Dolphins get after you, it's the confused looks that they can throw on offensive line. I mean, you talk about stunts. You talk about going one-on-one on the outside. You talk about pressure up the middle. The Dolphins can dial up the pressure in a variety of ways. And I'm very leery of, you know, you looked at what happened with the Patriots game last weekend. They won 17 to 16, mostly thanks to a, a last minute, a fourth quarter fumble recovery that Xavier and Howard had that, that clinched the win and got Miami to one and zero. but they got after Mac Jones who only had about 2.5 seconds to throw the ball. Now that's a little slower than the ridiculous 2.1 that big Ben was operating under um, with his releases, but the, the Josh Allen has to be aware of the pressure and of the blitz. And I think this is going to be a great barometer to see how he rebounds from that week one performance. Cause he's going to get the pressure. He's going to have to have those quick releases. And this seems like it's uh, going to be a really good challenge for him. Let's talk about that time to throw here for a second. It sounds like a half second is nothing. And in real life, it isn't. But when it comes to pass rush, the difference between 2.1 seconds and 2.5 seconds is the difference between getting to the quarterback and not. And we saw through last season, through last week, Tua holds the ball longer than Roethlisberger does. 
So that is definitely going to give the Bills an opportunity to get in on the pass rush there. But I think when it comes to the Bills having the ball, I think that what we're going to see is I, I think they're going to have to put more play action in into the offense. They're going to they're going to see those exotic fronts, but you can confuse them in return by getting them flowing one direction only to pull it back and go the other way. And I thought we were going to see more of that against Pittsburgh. We didn't because they did so much four and five wide. But this week, I, I can almost guarantee you the play action is going to become part of it. And that is a great way of slowing down blitzers when they don't know if they need to run fill or they need to drop into coverage. It causes them to hesitate for just a split second. And that could be what gets you from... 2.1 seconds to 2.5 seconds of coverage. And, and that's a really astute point there, Jamie, about the play action. According to, again, uh, another article that I was reading before our podcast here last week. So the Bills, as we all know, they love their misdirection and they love the play action and the play fake. And this must be uh, a tip of the hat to Mike Tomlin and the, the the crazy talented front four of Pittsburgh. Because last week in the season opener, they did a play fake on just 15 percent of dropbacks nine out of 60 last year the bills led the nfl with 36 percent play action on their pass plays the highest figure in the nfl i agree i think you're going to see a reverting to that coming up against miami i think that's an essential way that the bills are going to buy josh that extra time because here's the thing unlike with what pittsburgh did with bringing mostly the pressure from the front four and dropping their linebackers into coverage when miami's bringing the house when miami's bringing guys from the secondary every microsecond that josh gets to scan the field and he knows his receivers win that one-on-one battle especially if you're mixing in a play fake Josh, there's a reason Josh has done so well against the Dolphins. I think that's exactly the reason why is because he seems this this defense seems to bring out the best in Josh, given the fact of what 39 points per game the Bills are scoring during a five-game winning streak against the Dolphins. I mean, Josh terrorizes Miami, and I hope that that continues on Sunday. I think that's a good recipe for Buffalo success. There are things that you could do to mitigate a pass rush, which the Bills didn't do last week. And one of the things is moving the pocket, getting Josh on rollouts. And that's something that they did successfully last year, that they seem to lose their identity on this this first game of the season. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I, I think that behind closed doors, you probably had Sean McDermott slap uh, uh, Brian Dable upside the head and say, hey, get back to what we do. That's a bad Brian Dable. Bad. We don't throw pitches backwards four yards on fourth and one. Bad Dable. Roll up the newspaper and hit him on the nose. <laughs> well, since we know Brandon Bean listens to the podcast, I'm sure that that's going to be an inside look at Hard Rock Stadium uh, on Sunday morning. McDermott. I, I have a question for you on that. How is it that Brandon Bean did start listening to this podcast? Did you reach out to him personally? Uh, I probably sent him a wave of psychic messages and uh, said, hey, Brandon, this podcast is different. It's unique. We're homers. We like the Bills. Check it out. Yeah, boy, that does make us different. We are. We stand out from the crowd, buddy. And not just because we <laughs> believe in the Buffalo Bills here on Believe, a Buffalo Bills Ooh. fan podcast. I see what you just did there. Yeah, brilliance here on a Saturday morning or extreme fatigue. It could be either or in our situation <laughs> here. But uh you know, Jamie, I, I know that 
one of the, you know how we talked about overreactions in the NFL. And of course, everyone is like, well, what's wrong with the Bills offense? And my point to that would be, look, if the Bills come out on Sunday against Miami and they do the same things, if they go one of four on scoring touchdowns in the red zone, if they don't have the adept third down conversions that they did from last year, if they leave more of those points on the field, then I think the conversation can come up. What's wrong with the Bills offense? But don't put me in that group right now because the Steelers, and again, if you look at 2020, Josh's worst game statistically came against the Steelers. I mean, it's no surprise that he struggles against these guys. Statistically, he was not much different last year than this year. It's just a tough matchup for the Bills. And I think what, what makes it even worse is the the unfair but yet warranted at the same time level of expectations that have been levied on this team. I mean, it's Super Bowl or bust, and everybody knows that. And they and I'm sure the players in the locker room, they might not admit it, but they know they read the press, they hear the headlines, they hear the hype that this team is expected to make a deep, deep run, which is why it's so I think it's perfect, Jamie, the way that this schedule breaks, that the Bills go from the sky is falling, we lose to the Steelers, they're 0-1. Thankfully, only one other team in the AFC East won uh, their opener. The Jets got humiliated by the Panthers, and the Patriots lost a one-point game to these Dolphins, who the Bills have on Sunday. The Bills get an instant shot at redemption, and not only that, but if they win on Sunday, they get that most important thing of all, the coveted divisional win to go to 1-0 and against a team that's expected to be their chief competition in the division this year. And while last week was a bad matchup for the Bills, this has shown to be a very good matchup for the Bills with Brian, well, with Brian Dable at the helm of the offense, with Sean McDermott coaching, and in particular with Josh Allen as quarterback. He has had some of his most successful days as a pro against the Miami Dolphins. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, Josh is going to throw for 400 yards, but I think you're going to see a different game than you saw last week. And here's the thing. What if the Bills do lose? You know, you talk about the sky falling in, starting off 0-2. Can you dig out of that hole? Of course you can. The, the Super Bowl champs, Tampa was 7-5 and at one point last year. That does not sound like a team on its way to the Super Bowl. You have time to turn things around. Statistically, it's against you. If you start 0-2, statistically, you're probably not going to make the playoffs. But I like where the Bills sit in the division. The division is a lot better than it was last year. But I, I think the Bills can still come out with a minimum of four wins with against their division opponents. And that puts you in a position where you can still win your division. You know, Jamie, uh, to drop a random did you know, the uh, an NFL team has never started 0-2 and made the playoffs during a 17-game schedule. <laughs> you know, no team has ever started out 2-0 and made the playoffs in a 17-game schedule. <laughs> I used to love all those like uh, prognosticators who are like, the team starts 0-2, their playoff odds drop to 25%. Well, take that math, nerds. We've never had a 17-game schedule before to figure out the 2-0, 0-2 permutations. I mean, clearly, you want to get a W, and this is a big win, but I, I'm not going to call this a must-win game. Absolutely not. It's way too early in the season. The Bills still have 
one of the easiest schedules on paper in 2021. But of course, it would be awesome. You know, this is like the little brother, big brother matchup where, you know, the little brother dolphins are getting feisty. They think they got a shot at taking down the bills and this is their chance, especially after getting humiliated 56 to 26 last year in week 17, when the bills had virtually nothing to play for and the dolphins had a playoff berth on the line. And then the Isaiah McKenzie bowl happened and Josh did Josh things against the dolphins. So let's, let's start with Josh. And I know we've talked about the receivers and give a lot of credit to Diggs and Beasley and Davis for winning their one-on-one matchups. What is it about the dolphins that makes Josh salivate because his numbers are insane. I mean, 20 total touchdowns against only four picks in the six games. He's five and one against them all time, five straight wins, 39 points per game during that winning streak. What does Josh love about facing the Dolphins? Okay, and it's not going up against those cornerbacks because Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are really good. Now, they have had injuries in the past, and boy, did the Bills pick on, let's see if I can say this right, Noah Igbenohini. And that's that's been the key in the past is they haven't necessarily been 100%. But... The thing is, I, I think I think Josh gets up for it because A, it's a division game, but B, the heavy man-to-man that they use is something that just doesn't seem to bother the Bills anymore. Okay, a couple of years ago, the receivers had a hard time getting off the line of scrimmage, but man-to-man, how are you going to cover Cole Beasley? You, you can't do it. You're going to put a linebacker on him. Uh, you're going to put a corner on him. He's going to outrun whoever it is. And the other side of it is they, I, I think the Bills have shown a tendency to take advantage of the, the Dolphins' propensity to play aggressively. Um, that's kind of what makes them a really good team in the first place. But when there are openings, you just see the best of Josh Allen against this team. And you're really asking me to narrow it down to one thing. I, I can't. I, I don't know. What makes him otherworldly against the Dolphins? You're right, though. It is like it's this intangible, this other gear that he revs it up to. And it's not like the Bills have relied on a solid ground game to balance it off. It's been Josh running. It's been Josh throwing. It's been the Josh show. And that's why, again, I feel like this is the perfect elixir for what ails the Bills, getting the Dolphins in week two. Um, I think we're going to see a performance very similar to last year's week two Uh, where Josh threw for four touchdowns and 415 yards in the back and forth, 31-28 slugfest. I think this is going to be a a high-scoring game, and I would give the Bills offense a major advantage, especially because I think, I think Raekwon Davis is out for this game. I think he went on IR and is out for six to eight weeks. I could be wrong, but I've read some reports on the interwebs that Raekwon Davis uh, was on the short-term IR and is going to miss six to eight weeks, which would be a huge blow for the Dolphins to not have their behemoth of a nose tackle. That it would be. However, when you talk about scoring, there are some things on the Dolphins' offense that concern me, and it starts with Mike Gesicki, the big tight end, who absolutely blew the Bills up last season for 130 yards receiving. By the way, I want to confirm breaking news. Raquan Davis is out. He landed on the IR on Tuesday, so he will not be playing. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have 
every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Interesting nugget, Jamie, about Mike Jacecki. He did terrorize the Bills in those matchups. He had, I don't think he had a single catch against the Patriots in week one. I'm not sure what the Dolphins were looking to do with him. I know that they have their brand new toys. I mean, and this... This is going to be a major challenge for the Bills secondary. Let's talk about that for a second because the Bills, the Dolphins wide receiving core is so much vastly better than it was last year when these two teams met up. We know Devontae Parker is a stud, but Jalen Waddell, the rookie, had a really nice debut against the Patriots. Jakeem Grant is a solid playmaker and pass catcher. Um, they've got weapons up and down this roster for Tua Tagovailoa to throw the ball to. I'm curious to see... You know, Levi has to be so happy um, with the news. The Dolphins are going to be missing Will Fuller. He was expected to be back. He's apparently missing this game for quote-unquote personal reasons, and that's all that the media has really found out. I think that's a huge blow for uh, for the Dolphins and a huge asset for Buffalo, knowing that Levi doesn't have to go up against a guy who could torch him, much like the Steelers did last week. Well, he doesn't have to go up against Will Fuller, but he will have to go up against Devontae Parker, who is 6'3", 220. Do you think this is a case, Jamie, where the Bills might modify? And I'm glad you brought up Devontae Parker. He is a matchup nightmare. But what's interesting about this Bills defense, I know that the first half, the defense looked phenomenal. And then the Steelers scored on, what, four straight possessions in the second half. And granted, one of them was a blocked punt, which was just inexcusable. But... The Bills' defense showed a lot more man coverage than we've seen in the past. They've kind of shied away from the zone that we've been accustomed to, and they went more man. Do you think this is a case where Trey White gets the assignment on Parker? I think they go back to more zone. I I think that the only reason they pulled out the man coverage that they did is because they knew Roethlisberger was going going to be getting rid of the ball in less than two seconds, and they wanted to have somebody nose to nose on a receiver to try to take away those underneath routes. I think they're going to go back to what they do best, which is to play a zone and put Levi Wallace and the others in their best position to succeed. And you're right. the, um, the That would make more sense with the talented bunch of receivers for Tua to throw to. Devontae Parker runs a 4-4-5-40. Jalen Waddle's about a 4-3. I mean, these guys have speed to burn. So it's going to be interesting to see how the corners and the safeties for Buffalo respond uh, to the challenge 
of guarding and matchup against these talented wide receivers. Mike Jacecki, he's another guy I want to go to. You mentioned him earlier with 130 receiving yard performance against Buffalo. With Matt Milano being fully healthy, with Tremaine Edmonds having a pretty solid game for himself against his brother last week against Pittsburgh, how do you see the Bills linebackers, what role they're going to play in taking out the tight end? Do you think we're going to see um, the Dolphins try to go to him as much as they did last year? Oh, absolutely. Like why why would you go away from success? They're going to they're going to try to pull the linebackers in. They they're going to they're going to do the play action and then they're going to try to pop it to Gesecki who is going to be oh, I don't know. He's going to be out in his route typically up the seams. So the the Bills linebackers are just going to have to be more reactive and play fast. That that's really what it comes down to. I don't know that we saw the best out of either linebacker last year. They, we, we know that Milano was banged up and Edmonds seemed to take a small step backwards. I, I think that you're going to see better play from both of them. It's early in the season. They're going to be playing fast. And, you know, the Dolphins have done a great job of surrounding Tagovailoa with some weapons. And this is exactly what you want to do with a young quarterback. You get them blocking, you get them weapons, and you say, okay, do what you can. If you can't get it done with this setup, you're not the person we got to go find somebody else. Okay, that's kind of what the Bills did with Josh Allen this past season. And turns out we've got a pretty darn good quarterback. Are the Dolphins going to find that they've got that? Eh, I think that the, the jury's still out. But if you can scheme your tight end open... That's a big mismatch in most cases, but I like Matt Milano and Edmonds in coverage more than I like most linebackers in coverage. So I don't think you're going to see seven receptions for 130 yards, but I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up with four receptions for somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 yards. The Dolphins very quietly, you're right, took a page out of the Bills playbook of surrounding your youngster quarterback with tons of playmakers and tons of weapons. I Personally love Jalen Waddell. I think he was a great feel-good story at Alabama. I think he's going to be a very dynamic pro for the Dolphins. That's going to be a tough matchup for whoever the Bills put against him, whether it is more of that zone setup or reverting back to maybe a mix of the man-to-mans as well. But I feel like, Jamie, this one thing that gets lost, and you guys talked about this on uh, on your podcast earlier in the week with, with Big Newt, with Jamie D and, and the Newt, you guys were talking about the success of the things you liked about the Steelers game. And there were some positives to highlight. I want to shine a light on the pass rush for Buffalo. And especially Jerry Hughes had himself a pretty solid game as he usually does. And I thought Ed Oliver performed very well in a losing effort. What do you think is going to happen with the pass rush, especially uh, you know rookie Greg Rousseau, Jerry Hughes, and Ed Oliver trying to make some disruptions against Tua on Sunday? Well, two is going to hold the ball longer. That that's what we know. Two is going to hold the ball longer than uh, than Ben Roethlisberger did. Now, I'm sure the Dolphins watched that game and said, "Hey, obviously this worked against the Bills, so we need to do it." But this is going to be the game where we find out what that front four is made of and the the D end rotations. Um, Ed Oliver had himself a game. He was a wrecking ball in the middle of uh, that defensive line. And I want to see that continue. So the better he plays, the better the defensive ends are going to look. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a coming out party for Greg Rousseau. I'm really wanting it to happen. I want to see this guy get to double-digit sacks in his rookie season. 
And he was very quiet last week. He didn't have any pressures on the quarterback, but you know, he's not somebody who's going to get there in under two seconds. You know, usually it's a blitzer that comes free. That's going to do that, but he's so long. He can be to the quarterback in three steps, which is much quicker than a lot of other players can be there. So I, I, I think that you're going to see something very different this week. And it's entirely built around the fact that Tagovailoa doesn't get rid of the ball as quickly. Here's a bold prediction for you, Jamie, before we get Ooh, to I our, like it. our score predictions for the game and all that. I think this is going to be, you're going to see Greg Rousseau get his first career sack on Sunday. A couple different reasons I'm saying that. One, the Dolphins offensive line is not the Steelers offensive line. The Dolphins have one of the worst units on the offensive line in football. The Patriots got 13 total pressures on Tagovailoa last week in the season opener. And I think you're going to see a lot of the same mistakes from Tua when it comes to the Bills pass rush. So that's my first part. Rousseau is going to break through and get a sack. I think the Bills are going to register between three and four sacks that are going to lead to at least two turnovers against Miami because the Dolphins love to turn the ball over. They, that's what Tua did during his rookie year. He he should have had at least two interceptions, if not more, against the Patriots in that season opener. The Bills should have had two or three picks against Ben Roethlisberger uh, due to the high pressure, including the one on Trey White that got called back due to a complete bullshit phantom holding penalty. I mean, that was such a, a horseshit call. Everyone in the stadium knew it. There were some really bad calls by the zebras but i feel like the secondary for buffalo is going to have a huge feast type of day against tua who just loves to turn the rock over to the opposition so i'm calling russo to get his first sack the bills to get three to four sacks as a team and at least two turnovers on sunday well jc jackson the cornerback from the patriots said about a Tua turnover last week he said that's what tua do when he's under pressure he just throws the ball up well, hope he does more of that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a huge recipe, Jamie, for uh, for success on the uh, on the Buffalo Bills front. I, I know we've been bouncing around a little bit here on, on Believe with our previews. I do want to go to one other area before we get our score predictions for this week. Hall of Famer Jim Kelly came out and was talking about Josh's play. And, you know, I feel like Josh was the kid on Christmas morning versus the Steelers. He was skittish. Uh, he was amped up to like a factor of 100. I mean, he was airmailing receivers. He was so hyped. I wonder if this is the week that we see. They tried Breda, Matt Breda, against the Steelers, and it did not really work out all that well. Singletary had an okay performance. I'm wondering if the Bills can revert back, like Jim Kelly said, to getting more balance in this offense, not only in the play action, but you've got to have something behind the play action. So do we see Zach Moss? Do we see Devin Singletary ground the rock more on Sunday? And the Bills try to go a little bit more balanced versus the uneven play that we saw with regards to the passing versus rushing attempts. I think you have to. I don't think you can be one-dimensional and be consistently successful in the NFL. Uh, if you're not running the ball, you're really putting a lot more heat on your quarterback. And I know it's a passing league, and I know the Bills are at the forefront of, of a lot of the the inventions and flouting convention of uh, of the NFL. I mean, this is not your your football league of 20 years ago where you had to have a great 
running game in order to win. Uh, this is this is an area where the Bills knew that they had to improve. I don't know what they did to improve that other than Devin Singletary improving his conditioning, but they're going to at least have to hand the ball off to keep the defense honest. I think that's a great game plan for Brian Dable to at least, yes, have there be uh, the appearance of the threat of the running game. I think Miami can be run on, especially with Raquan Davis now out, that hulk of a human being up the middle of the line for the Dolphins. Christian Wilkins is going to get his. The linebackers are okay for Miami, but they're not great. They're not nearly as good as what Pittsburgh had last week. So I'm looking for, like you said, the Bills to run the ball more consistently, to at least turn to the run, to set up the play action, to lead to the one-on-one matchups with the receivers. I, Jamie, I love everything about this matchup, as I mentioned from the get-go, for Buffalo to get healthy and to get right. So let's let's talk about it. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday? What's your score prediction and how good do you feel about it? I think the Bills are going to win. I think they're going to probably win by a score of 28-24. And ready for this one? I think you're going to see five receptions from Dawson Knox. You know, I like that prediction. And the Bills definitely, he was, again, another underrated quality part of that week one game. The Bills showed a lot of trust in Dawson Knox and getting him the ball and and making Josh find the tight end downfield. I could see that definitely happening, especially given the fact of how much the other corners, Xavier Howard uh, and the rest of the, the Dolphin secondaries, the Byron Joneses and Justin Coleman's, they're going to be focusing on neutralizing Gabe Davis, who's also making a homecoming, uh, coming back home to Miami and Emmanuel Sanders. I could see Sanders going off too. He should have had that deep touchdown if Josh didn't overthrow him terribly against Pittsburgh. So Jamie's going 28-24. I'm going to go a very familiar score for Bills Dolphins fans and Bills Dolphins games. 31-28. This will happen for the third straight year that Buffalo wins 31-28. It's going to be close. It's going to be an awesome, exciting game on Sunday. But I just see Josh getting right. I see the Bills offense getting back to its 2020 form, sprinkling in more play action, more pre-snap movements. Brian Dable's going to get his head out of his ass and get the play calling back in the right direction and not get too cute uh, like he did last week on those fourth down calls in particular. Um, I think that the Dolphins are going to miss having Raquan Davis up the middle. I think that the Bills are going to force turnovers and come away with big sacks. I'm going 31-28. The Bills even their record and get that crucial first win in the division. What do you guys think, Bills fans? We want to hear your thoughts. Get involved with this podcast on social media. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, and I am at John Boccasino. You can also find us on stories on buffalorumblings.com. Give us your feedback. This is a fan-friendly show. We want to hear your thoughts, what's going to happen in week two. Jamie, let's hope that we are uh, prognosticators who are accurate and uh, the Bills pull away with this win because it will be a lot more fun to talk about a victory heading into week three, the Washington football team and Taylor Heineke. I'm so depressed, by the way, that Ryan Fitzpatrick's not going to be playing, man. Oh, I know. 
I really wanted him to be announced on the field because you know that guy would get a standing ovation. And and he deserves it. He's he's Buffalo through and through, even though he only played there a few years. That's his favorite stop in the league, and the Bills fans love Ryan Fitzpatrick, as do I, as do you. It would have been fun. We'll still pay homage to uh, the former bearded legend of Buffalo as he's sitting on the sidelines uh, if he makes a trip to Buffalo, which hopefully he will so the fans can show some love on him. But Anyway, make sure you come back here to Believe for all of our thoughts leading up to the week three matchup with the Washington football team. And hopefully you guys get involved with our show on social media. For Jamie D'Amico, I'm John Boccasino signing off here on Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast.